Welcome to the MPC Podcast. I am Tim W. Gill, pastor of Medora Pentecostal Church, and I'm thrilled that you've joined us today. Here at MPC, we are committed to bringing hope and building lives. One way we do that is through this podcast. Thank you for listening, for sharing and reviewing what we do here. It is our desire to connect with you, and you can find us on Facebook, or you can find us at our website, medorachurch.com. It is our prayer that today's message inspires you, encourages you, and that the kingdom of God is advanced in your life. Let's get right to the word of the Lord today. God is so good this evening. So good. We're going to be going to Luke 24, if you'll be turning with me. Luke 24, verses 3 through 5. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid, they bowed down their faces to the earth, and they said unto them, the angels said, Why do you seek the living among the dead? That'll be our title for this evening, The Living Among the Dead, or Living Among the Dead. I'm sorry, Living Among the Dead. God, we thank you for an opportunity to be in your house tonight. I pray your words would travel through this place today and they would change lives. God, that you would encourage, that you would rekindle flames. God, that every word that comes from these lips of clay would be your words, living words. God, tonight I pray that hearts and minds would be ready to be molded and changed by your words. All glory and honor is unto you. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to somebody as you're seated and tell them, living among the dead. What a fascinating phrase the angel echoes back to those seeking Jesus. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Why are you here? Why have you come to look for life where there is no life? Why have you come to search for something where it most certainly cannot be found? Why have you come? You've come looking for the right thing. Your search is admirable. But you've just come to the wrong place, what the angel says to them. By definition, death is the absence of life. And inversely, life is the very thing that separates a living and functional being from a dead body. So you see here, the angels made a pretty fascinating statement. What you're looking for cannot be found here. The life that you seek cannot be found here among the dead. They're looking for Jesus in his tomb. They're looking for him because that's where they thought the story ended. That's the last place they left him. I used to hate when my dad would tell me that. Dad, I lost something. I lost something. Where's the last place you had it? It's the last place they left Jesus. And they thought, that's where he's got to be. This fantastic life of Jesus, this life that gave so much life to others, that healed others, that encouraged others, that lifted up others, well, I guess it's, it's all round up. I guess this is all she wrote for Jesus of Nazareth. 
It was a good run, but I guess it's all over now. That's why they came to the tomb looking for Jesus. That's why they came looking for life among the dead. Because they thought it was all over. We have a world that does exactly that. They're looking for Jesus in all the wrong places. They're looking for something to fill that void. That deep, innate void that God has in each and every heart that he needs to fit into. And we see the world searching every other place. In every other empty tomb. They're looking through drugs, through alcohol, through pornography, through anxiety, through frustration, through fear. They're looking for anything to fill that need. They're looking anywhere except for where they need to look. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Luke chapter 8, before we, add, uh, before we read this, I want to add some context the man that came to him was Jairus, and Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue. He came frantically and threw himself at the feet of Jesus and began to plead, Jesus, you've got to save my daughter, my 12-year-old daughter, my only daughter. You've got to do something. You've got to help. And, and I'm going to just take some liberties here. He had to say, God, I, I've heard so many things you've done. I've heard things you've done like this. I've heard all the stories. And for a while, I didn't know about it because I hear what they say about you in the synagogue. But I've, I've got no other option. I've come with no other options, no other reservations. I've tried everything else. So here I am at your feet begging you to help me. Luke 8. So he asked him and Jesus said, let's go. I'll help you. 8.49, while he yet spake, there came one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, thy daughter is dead. Trouble not the master any further. In verse 50, I don't think I gave you that, Sister Bev, I'm sorry. But in verse 50, Jesus tells him, just don't worry about this. Believe only, and your daughter will be made whole. Just believe. I know the story you've just been told. I know the report that you just got. But just hang on to the words that I gave you. And you'll see what will happen. Skipping to verse 52. We pick up the scene at Jairus' house when they came back. His daughter had already died. People were already wailing and berailing and throwing a big old scene. If you look into a lot of those words, berailed. I didn't write this down. I shouldn't have done this. But when you look at that word berailed, it says they were striking themselves. They were cutting themselves. There was all sorts of crazy chaotic stuff going on. They were really making a scene about this. In verse 52, they all wept and berailed her. But he said, weep not. She is not dead. But she sleeps. They laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. Now picture that scene with me. They are just pounding their chest. They're rolling around the floor. And again, I'm taking some liberties here. But it's probably not a far shot. All this stuff's going on. It's chaotic. And with just a few words, when Jesus says, she's not dead, she's just sleeping, they absolutely lose their mind and begin to laugh hysterically. Him to scorn, it says. <laughs> With just a few words, knowing that she was dead, the reason they mocked him, the reason they laughed at him, the reason they knew better, or at least they thought they did. We know better, Jesus. We've heard of this stuff you've done. We've heard of some of your, you know, little miracles. We're not sure how you conjured all that up, but this is a little different. Jairus' daughter no longer has a pulse. They called the doctor said, check the pulse, get the time, it's all over. They probably started filling out some paperwork. 
It's all over. They let their own knowledge begin to override what Jesus has already said. There will be times in your life where you have to do the same thing. Where you have to silence everything inside of you so that what God says can prevail. They checked the pulse of Jairus' daughter. They probably felt that she was starting to get cool. They probably covered her up. They began to take all the right precautions because she was dead. By all available knowledge, by all the sciences, by... Where have we heard all the sciences? Knowing all the sciences. By everything we see, it points to she was dead. Everything logically said she was dead. But Jairus didn't take it because God still gave him the miracle. Jairus said, I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what all these peeps are saying. I'm still clinging to what Jesus said over in the street when we were on the way. Before we got the report, I'm still holding on to what he said. You have to let your faith override your brain. We see a similar story in John 11, which is where we see about Lazarus. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, the one you love is sick. Lazarus, your friend, he's sick. And when Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness is not unto death. It is not unto death. Death. We're going to pause there just for one moment. When you look at that word unto, it may seem like an extremely minuscule thing. But you get the word pros. And when you look at that word pros, it gives you the definition of advantageous for. It denotes close proximity. It denotes moving towards a place. So when you look at that and you say, this sickness is not unto death. Read it with the original text. And it says, this sickness is not even in close proximity to death. This sickness is not moving in the direction of death. This sickness, it's not even in the cards, Jesus says. It's not advantageous for you. It's not, not even going to happen. Well, then what happened? Lazarus died. Jesus was wrong again. Though it says it's not destined for, this sickness is not moving towards, this sickness is not even in proximity of, it's not going to arrive at death. He does not say that it will not look like it. It will not seem like it. It will not, by every available application of logic, make zero sense to you. There will be times you have to see past your own wisdom and your own knowledge and cling to his words alone. And it will be the most difficult pursuit, perhaps, of your life. But in moments when things do not make sense, you have to grasp to what the last thing Jesus said about your circumstance. <clears throat> when God says, it will not kill you, it will not kill you, but it will make you stronger. When God says, your best days are not behind you, but they are in front of you, that is the case. I don't care what your neighbor says. I don't care what your financial report says. I don't care what anything says. Every available logic can prove me a moron. But in the end, God will finish what he started. You may feel like this is how your story ends. You may feel like you will not have victory in this fight. But if God said it, it will happen. Remember, God said the sickness is not unto death. But what did it look like? 
What did it sound like? What did everybody talk about it? What did it, I'll even go one further, and I hope you catch it. What did it smell like? Sure didn't smell like life. Every piece of evidence said, he's dead. I bet they checked his pulse 30 times. Because Jesus said he was coming. Jesus said he wasn't going to die. Jesus said all this stuff, but it ain't working. Jesus said all this stuff about my life. He said all this stuff about my family. He said all this stuff about the works that was going to happen. He said all this stuff about our community. He said all this stuff about our church. But it just doesn't seem like God's doing what he said he would do. It just doesn't seem like God's bringing into fruits the things he prophesied. But hold on. Hold on. Because it didn't look like there'd be a victory when David stepped down in the valley. And it sure didn't sound like there'd be a victory as Joshua led the Israelites around the Jericho walls. An utterly silent army and community around the walls. And it did not feel like victory when Jesus hung on the cross, beaten, bruised, and bleeding. But in every circumstance... You must know and you must hold to. If he said it, it is sealed. If he said it's going to happen or he said it ain't going to happen, it will or it will not. It will do exactly as he proclaimed it to be. John 11 and verse 4. We're going to read that whole verse. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death. But for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. And we skip down quite a bit and we look at verse 43. When he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. He smelled dead. He looked dead. He was dead for four days. But with three simple words, God came in and wiped every single bit of it away. In your circumstance, in your situation, I don't care how long it's felt dead. I don't care how long it seemed like it's dead, how long it's felt like it's not going to be victorious. God will come in with just a few simple words at the right time. And he will say, it's time. Now it's time. Everything I've told you about, everything you've been dreaming about, everything I've showed you, everything you've prayed for, just give it a little more time. And soon, God's going to step in, and with just a few words, you'll look back at all this time you waited. You'll look back at all this time you struggled, all this time you fought with your flesh, all this time you fought with your brain, and you will come in with those few words. Do not let what you know stop for you from receiving the promises of God in your life. Do not let your brain or your heart or any other piece of you get in the way. If God says it is, it will be. So what exactly does it mean? That's our foundation we've set so far. What exactly does it mean to live among the dead? To live among the dead. Mark 5 verse 2 And when he, this was Jesus, was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man of an unclean spirit. 
who had his dwelling among the tomb. Turn to somebody and say, that's where he lived. And no man could bind him. No, not with chains. We see this man in the tombs who was influenced by sin in one way or another. Slowly but surely, this influence began to grow in his life. To the point where he was possessed with an unclean spirit, as the word says. This man, no doubt, at some point was full of life. At some point was full of potential, was full of opportunity. Everything was ahead of him. Little by little, though, sin came in and began to speak. Sin came in. Fear came in. Doubt came in. Anxiety came in. Bitterness came in. Frustration came in and began to speak little things. And he gave it an ear. Time and time and time again. What may seem small will build up to the point where you find yourself living among dead. This man was not designed to dwell among the tombs. Sin and death had led him there. Because sin and death will find the place it, it wishes to live most comfortably. Which is among the tombs. Figuratively and literally in this man's case. It will find a place to crawl away so far from life. It will find a place to crawl so far away from righteousness, from the voice of God, that you will wonder how in the world you started and ended in these spots. Jesus did not go to the tombs to tell this man that he could be saved while also retaining this unclean spirit. That would be oxymoronic. Jesus here illustrates how we as the church are to interact with a world that is so influenced by sin. That is how we live among the dead. This is how we are to be a living church among a dying and dark world. Continuing in John 11, Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbles not, because he sees the light of the world. But if a man walk in the light... But if a man walk in the night, he stumbles because there is no light in him. In Bishop's commentary on this verse, he says, and I'm quoting, The phrasing of this statement by the Lord shows that it was obvious he was not speaking of physical but spiritual light that was needed to walk safely and securely. The Lord is saying if one stumbles, it is because there is no light in him. The most important light that is needed is that which is from within. End quote. It is the mission of the church, and I say that as a whole, but it is the mission of our church, I will say more specifically. It is the mission of our church to do exactly that, to bring light into a dark community. The church should not go into this world to see exactly how close we can live to these things while also influencing them. It is not my job to see exactly how close I can live with fear and anxiety and frustration and fill in the blank and also influence. Well, I understand you're having some issues. I have the same issues. Let me influence you. No, it is the job of the church to say, I see that you stumble. I see that you are falling. Let me show you some light. Let me show you some hope. Let me show you some life. It is not our mission to bring the light, to bring, it is our mission to bring life into the world, not to bring the culture of the world into the church. We are not meant to mix. 
Exodus 23 and 19. We're going to take a little bit of a turn, but hang with me. We're going to end here in just a bit. Verse 19, the first of the first fruits of thy land thou shalt bring into the house of the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not seethe a kid in his mother's milk. Several years ago, Pastor Luke St. Clair taught on this subject, and it has stuck with me ever since. According to various Bible commentaries, the pagans of that era and that area had a fertility rite, which involved boiling a kid or a baby goat in its mother's milk. And then taking the broth that that concoction produced and sprinkling it on your fields, your gardens. They did this in hope of increasing the yields of their crops, increasing the yields of their gardens, of their harvest. Although this is a very straightforward commandment that the Lord gives, do not seethe a kid in its mother's milk. We can also glean from this uh, not only its literal application, but also a parallel We see the mother's milk represents life. Her milk will nurture and give life to this baby goat. We see also that the kid or baby goat that has been killed represents, you nailed it, death. So they make this broth. They make this whatever you'd like to call it, where they begin to boil this kid in its mother's milk. And what you get is a grotesque fusion or attempted fusion between what is meant to bring life and death. We see something that is alive and full of potential being sacrificed. And even more than that, we see the very thing that was meant to give it life, to bring it life, to nurture it, to continue to strengthen it and bring it up, being the instrument of its demise. That is always the goal of evil to take something that contains life or brings life, and in any way that it can, to destroy life. To take something that is designed to give life and instead bring death. And that is exactly the plans. If you look through the pages of time, you will see that always. That is the goal of sin. That is the goal of evil. To take life, to take potential, to take anything that can assimilate life and to bring it into a counterfeit being death. This is exactly what we see being attempted in the world today. Though it is nothing new to the church, it is something that is being accelerated in today's time, today's era. We see man's attempt to take what is holy and fuse it with what is death. We see the attempt to bring death into something that is supposed to give life. We see this coupling of death and life. As Israel is navigating, which is where we get the context of where we read our scripture in Exodus 23, Israel is navigating the transition between the spiritual death and paganism in Egypt and the spiritual life and birth of the promised Israelites in Canaan. They're trying to navigate living there for so long seeing all the customs, probably being a part in a lot of those customs, taking those out and bringing them back into pure relationship with God. Don't bring, God instructs them, don't bring what you learned in Egypt into my house. Don't bring the customs of those pagans in Egypt into Canaan. Don't let 
What is in the land you are soon to possess, distort your worship. If you could stand with me. A few weeks ago, I was going through my uh, normal morning routine. I was listening to my Bible on my way to work. And that verse in Mark 5, as I read, I've read it so many times, but God just hit it in my spirit. And for the first time, he didn't really reveal why. He didn't show me why. And then he showed me the scripture in Luke that talked about knowing she was dead. And yet again, didn't really show me why. They just burned in my heart, and I could not understand why. But I knew. I knew that they were for tonight. And that really confused me. I'm speaking at a revival at our church, and God, the two scriptures you've given me to start are about death. Pretty explicitly about death. This reviving, this refreshing, this whatever you want to call it, God gave me death as a starting point. And I'm not trying to get any pity. I'm saying it to show you God works in mysterious ways. I didn't understand it for several days. I wrestled with it. I tried to, and I'll level with you. I'm honest, if nothing else. I tried to, to put my own perspective on it. I tried to, well, it is about death, but both of them end up in miracles in the end. So we'll, just fo- we'll read that as an opening, and then we'll focus on the other stuff later. But the more I tried to do that, the more I tried to do that, the more God just continued to burn it in my heart and continued to let me fail in those endeavors, thankfully. And then God just continued to show me every story he starts, he will finish it. And sometimes death is just a part of the journey. Sometimes it's not the death literally, as we see in Lazarus, as we see in Jairus' daughter, as we see in so many times that God navigates this. And death is not the end. It is simply a part of the journey. Mark 16 and 15 said, And he said unto them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. There are moments in my life that are full of death. There are moments in my past, I should say more accurately, that were death. They destroyed. They were destructive. They were all this stuff. And I really wish I could forget a lot of them. But you know what it does? It brings me to Revelation 12. And they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And loved not their lives unto death. So tonight, I want you to look at these scriptures a little differently. We are called to bring our testimonies, to bring these moments that we have walked through death. We have walked through sin. We have walked through these moments that sin has destroyed things in our life and show others that are walking through the exact same thing. I've been where you've been. And let me tell you, death is not the end of the story. Death is not where this ends up. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why are you looking for God in all these places? Why are you looking for God in drugs? Why are you looking for God in these illicit relationships? Why are you looking for all of this when he's right here? So that's all we are called to do, church. So tonight, I want you, more than anything, it's, it's a mission call. I want you 
to make it your own goal this week. I want it to burn in your heart to bring life to a dead situation. It doesn't matter how dead you think your situation looks or someone else's situation. I want you to bring life into somebody else's situation this week. I want you to look at the times that God brought you through it and say, now I want to bring others through it. It's not simply cliche why MPC says we are going to build, bring hope, and build lives. That's exactly what God's calling us to do. He's calling us to live among the dead, to be a light in a dark generation, to be life where there are situations that seem dead, to be hope where there is no hope. Thank you for listening to the MPC Podcast. We trust that today's message has inspired you, encouraged you, and strengthened you in the Lord. We would like to invite you to join us again by simply subscribing to our podcast, and we encourage you to write a review if it has been a blessing to you. Again, you can find us at medorachurch.com to learn more about our ministry.